Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Uh, And this series has been really good. I'm showing up every week like, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you actually going to do today? Because it seems like he's doing good stuff every week. Uh, and I'm excited to see what he does today. You know, there's this organization called Barneth that does uh, all the nerdy data uh, solicitation that we love, uh, looking at people in our society's attitudes towards uh, faith and religion and spirituality. And they did one at the end of last year about this. And it was a cross-section of people, not just church people, but Christians, non-Christians, people who never go to church or have never walked into a church, young people, old people, all the people in between. Uh, and they asked them uh, what their thoughts were, what their beliefs were about the supernatural and about spirituality. And what they found that in going from that broad swath of people in the U.S., that 80% of the people that they talked to believe that there's a spiritual or a supernatural dimension. 80%. And that number goes up the younger that you are. Gen Z and millennials, it's 83% believe that there's a supernatural or a spiritual dimension. That number may be a lot higher than you ever thought that it was. So I'll give you space to let that sink in a little bit. You know, several years ago, Sarah and I were getting ready to move to Providence, Rhode Island. And we were living in Connecticut. So anytime that we would go, we would visit as many apartments as we could all at one time. And so we go and we're checking out these apartments and we started to notice some trends in the decor of these apartments that we were visiting. A lot of them had various sorts of kind of occult and pagan-based decoration that was very obvious. Uh, They were like centerpieces to the rooms. Uh, Big paintings, wall hangings uh, that were new age, various occult sort of things. Uh, There was various different types of shrines set up in some of the apartments. Uh, You're looking at how people live when you're checking out the apartments. So you're kind of seeing things that you wouldn't normally see. And like lots of bookshelves filled with different new age practices. Like there was one apartment that we checked out that was so like predominant, this kind of spiritual leaning that we walked out and we were like, I don't think that we would feel comfortable like moving into that place. There was just like something heavy that was going on in that apartment. And as we looked at these apartments, it became really obvious that lots, maybe even a majority of people in that area were searching for something spiritually. They were looking for something to tap into. And they were checking everything out. A few months later, uh, I went to a coffee shop, which I do fairly often. Um, but I went to one that you would never go to if you were a real Rhode Island native. Because it was 10 minutes away from my house driving. And Rhode Islanders don't drive 10 minutes outside of their house. Right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Good job, though. You did it. Well done. Uh, it, but I went to this coffee shop, and I don't really remember why. I remember that the coffee was mediocre. So why would I keep going? I don't know. Yeah, like, I'm a coffee snob. It didn't fit. But I remember sitting there and looking around and watching this one woman who had this steady stream of people coming to her throughout the day. And it was like every 45 minutes, there was a new person that would show up, and they'd be there for about 15 minutes. 
and they'd pay her at the end. And in between, uh, she would take out her tarot cards and set them on the table and read them for her and, and talk through what that meant for each person that was coming in. And they would, you know, then say thank you and take the knowledge, whatever it was, and, and pay her for it and then leave. And I went back there about a month later and she was doing the same thing. She was there and there was a constant stream of people that were coming in and that were meeting with her and paying her for this service that was going on. And it became really obvious that lots of people believed that there's something spiritual to tap into. And they were really, really desperate to find something. But it's not just in Rhode Island. I googled this week uh, psychics and mediums within uh, driving distance of Hopkinton. There's 25 known places that are advertised that you could go and visit within a reasonable driving distance of this spot. 25. Which means that co-workers, neighbors, relatives, possibly even friends of ours are going and visiting these people. They're staying in business somehow, right? You probably know a few folks who are going to see these folks. And it should begin to be obvious that there are lots of people who believe there is something spiritual to tap into and they're searching for it. Now, if you grew up in a different country other than America, throw your hand in the air. Okay, for those of you who fit in that category, you may be much more used to this than us Americans because you're thinking, yeah, this is normal, right? Like I know Herman, like we've talked and going to see like a, a village spiritual guide of whatever name, uh, a witch doctor, a shaman, etc., and paying them money to get insight into what's going on in your life, to get healing for your body, whatever it is, is a normative thing that's been going on for hundreds of years. Like this is what people do. And so if you've grown up outside of the U.S., you're probably like, yeah, this is pretty normal. People are searching for something spiritual to tap into, and they are willing to pay money for it. There's no question about it. But to us, who've grown up here, we may be like, yeah, but there's lots of atheists in America, Stephen, who don't believe in anything spiritual. Yes. And there's lots of people who are educated and uh, believe in science who don't believe in the supernatural. Sure. But I wonder if that number is actually smaller than we think it is. I wonder if there's actually more people who are open to this than we've kind of allowed ourselves to notice, to pay attention to. Barna, who I mentioned earlier, who does these surveys, they did another survey looking at just Christians and how Christians dealt with the spiritual and supernatural realms. And this is what they found out. They said 67% of Christians said that they either didn't believe or were unsure about the existence of Satan. 67%, that's a very good, good majority. But 72% said that to some degree, a person could be under the influence of demons. So no Satan, but demons. This is Christians that I'm talking about. 
67% of Christians also said that they didn't believe that the Holy Spirit was alive, that they thought the Holy Spirit was a symbol of God's presence, but not a living being. That's a majority, a big majority. Now, if you're sitting here and you're like, those numbers don't make sense. Yes, I agree 100%. Like, this isn't logical. The, the beliefs that Christians have doesn't make sense in some ways. While it's obvious that people outside of the church believe that there is something spiritual to tap into and that they're searching, it seems, unfortunately, that the majority of Christians don't know what to believe when it comes to this. They're at best confused and at worst actually heretical because it is that far to that extreme. And here's, and I know I'm poking hard at Christians and that's good. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm going to poke a little harder because here's what I think is gone on. I think the church has allowed ourselves to be more influenced by a Western uh, kind of cultural worldview than we have by a biblical worldview. And we've allowed ourselves to be guided towards things that the Bible actually doesn't agree with. So what is an actual biblical worldview? You might be like, I don't even know what that means. I think there's a slide with that, Joshua, if you want to throw that up. So a biblical worldview starts at the very beginning, right? The beginning of the story with creation, with God creating a world that he is in relationship with, that he says is good, that is perfect, that is right. And then very quickly, sin enters the equation through partly through temptation by evil, by Satan, and partly through humanity choosing uh, to want to be God. And so humanity sins, and we keep on sinning, and we keep on sinning over and over and over again, and it keeps breaking down our relationship with God. And sin begins to change the trajectory of humanity and the plan that God has for us. A biblical worldview says that there is evil, a supernatural evil, not just a human evil, which we know all about, right? We've seen the human evil. We understand what that looks like. But there's a supernatural evil in that it's actually powerful. But we don't have to be afraid of it. But it is powerful. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 says, We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So... There's sin and there's evil. These two powerful forces that are pushing against humanity to keep us out of relationship with God. But they don't win. That's what a biblical worldview tells us. Because God acted. Because he's good and he's kind and he loves us. And so God comes to earth himself. Jesus, fully God, fully man, comes, lives among us moves among us, sacrifices himself, gives up himself for us. Because the only way that these powerful forces can be defeated is through an act of power. 
And in this case, we're talking about an act of powerful sacrifice by Jesus. Acts 10.38, and you know that God sent Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. He's powerful and he's kind. But he didn't stop at just simply bringing us freedom, which would have been enough, right? That counts. We would be grateful for that. But he kept giving. And he gives us his power through the Holy Spirit. Luke 24 says, and now, and this is Jesus saying it, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. He's generous. And so he gives us what we need to be able to do what he's called us to do. And we as the church, followers of Jesus, have been called to go and to do what Jesus did. To go and to preach the good news of the kingdom. To see the sick healed. To see demons cast out. To see his kingdom moving in our world. We're called to be bringers of the good news and of the power of Jesus to our cities and towns that we've been placed in. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, a biblical worldview, which is just straight out of here, gives us a framework for the supernatural. And not only that, but I think it's actually impossible to actually follow Jesus and not have a framework for the supernatural. I don't think those two things can be disconnected. That's a necessary part. It's part of believing in Jesus and the Bible. Friends, hopefully it's starting to become even more obvious that there is a lot, maybe even a majority of people around us who, are, who believe that there's something spiritual to tap into and they're willing to search for it, but they need us to show them the truth because everybody else is willing to show them their truth. Why aren't we? We've been given the thing that actually wins. We've been given the power that actually moves in our world for good. And our friends and our neighbors and our fellow students need to know that the things they're grabbing a hold of are wrong. Not in a judgmental way, but in a freeing way because we want to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is what is right. We've been called and empowered to do this. And those around us need the good news of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. They need to know this kind and good and generous and sacrificial God who loves them. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into Matthew 12. Jesus, I just ask for you to come and to fill us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're real. You're not just a symbol, but you are alive and you are moving. And we ask for you to come and to move. Come and move in here this morning. Come and move in our hearts and our lives. Come and bring freedom. Come and bring healing. Speak to us where we're desperate for guidance and awareness of you. Come and speak. We ask for you to come and to reveal yourself to us give you this space. It's yours. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be there the whole rest of the time. It's this interesting uh, little encounter that Jesus had with a demon-possessed man and then some religious leaders who didn't like what he did afterwards. So let's read it. 12, Matthew 12, 22. It says, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and, he, and said, Could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? So here we have Jesus healing a, di- a demon-possessed man who was both blind and mute because of this. You know, it's like, a sentence and a half, so it's super easy to just skip over and be like, oh, that's a cool story. That's like shocking, right? And when you read stories like that, you should ask like, okay, cool story, Jesus. Does this happen today? Like, is this still a thing today? Or are we in a different, you know, like time period? Does life look different now uh, than it did back in the day? Several years ago, uh, Sarah and I were on staff at a church in Darien, Connecticut, and they had a Tuesday morning service, which was always packed. No, nobody goes to church on Tuesday morning. There is like 20 people. Like, every, like who, would you go to church on Tuesday? I mean, maybe that's the new trick, right? Let's go, church service on Tuesdays, guys. Let's do it. Uh, no, it was always small. But there is this uh, addiction recovery house that would send people uh, to that service pretty much every week. Uh, and so lots of opportunities to pray for people, lots of stuff going on in their lives. Um, and one time they, they came and there was somebody with them who uh, they were pretty aware that there was something demonic going on. Um, it was a Christian recovery house. And so there was a lot of Bible and prayer, etc. And he just could not engage. Uh, he would just shut down. He would get pretty intense. So they asked uh, for one of the ladies in the church to pray for him during prayer time. And so they were praying for this guy. And after a little while, they came over to Sarah and I and asked if we would pray for him as well. Um, Not because we had the powers, uh, just because they wanted reinforcements, I think, was simply what it came down to. Um, So we went over and we asked him if we could pray for him. And he said yes. And then we started to pray and we just invited Jesus to come, asked the Holy Spirit to come and to move in his life. And we're praying with him for a while, uh, probably 10, 15 minutes. I had my eyes open the whole time uh, and it was not comfortable to have my eyes open uh, because he was uh, doing some unique stuff. Uh, His eyes were pretty strange and he would make direct eye contact as much as possible without blinking and it got a little bit weird, um, to be honest. (laughs) It was a little intense, uh, but still just wanted to pay attention to what was going on. Um, And you don't want to be surprised in situations like that. That's Keep your eyes open so you're not surprised. That's never a good thing. Uh, so I'm just watching and we're praying. We're asking the Holy Spirit what he wants to do. And we're, we're praying specifically for different things. And, and we keep pausing and checking in and seeing how he's doing. And uh, for most of the time, he wasn't really engaging with us at all. Um, but we just kept asking him, if, like, can you say Jesus' name? Can you, 
can you like take a step? And eventually he said Jesus' name. And very quickly after that, it was gone. His eyes went to a more normative state. Um, he was able to hold conversations and, and engage with us. Uh, and it was just obvious that something had left. So we prayed and we invited the Holy Spirit to come and to fill him. Uh, and then we always had lunch after it. That's the only way you get people to come to a Tuesday morning service, by the way, as you feed them afterwards. Uh, so we had lunch. Uh, we sent him away to go, to go eat. We prayed for ourselves and just asked the Holy Spirit to protect and to cover us. Uh, and then we went on with our day. Later on, some of the guys in the, uh, the house uh, talked to us and they said that it was just like shocking how much different he was after that point. There was obvious that something had changed. Something had left, honestly, is what it is. And his life is different after that. There wasn't a lot to what we did. We didn't pray for very long, like 20 minutes max. Uh, this wasn't a three-hour, you know, whatever, you know, exorcist scene from the movies. Uh, like, we asked permission. We acknowledged the authority and the power of Jesus. We paused to see what was happening. We commanded the demonic spirit, spirits to be gone in Jesus' name. We checked in to see how he was doing. And then when it was done, we thanked Jesus. We asked the Holy Spirit to fill him, and we sent him on his way. And then we asked the Holy Spirit to cover and protect us. Not crazy, nothing crazy in that. Does this happen anymore? Yes. But we need to put it in its proper place. Not everything's a demon. Hear me clearly on that. Not everything's a demon. There is mental illness. There are addictions. There are lots of other things that it could be and that it probably is. However, we live in a world that is affected by the supernatural and this does happen. And it needs to be treated as serious with the caveat that we have to be constantly acknowledging that Jesus is more powerful. There's no question. You don't go into it wondering who's going to win. Jesus wins every single time. That's the truth of it. So let's see what Jesus says here after he casts out this demon. Uh, verse 24, it says, But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan. Like, that's like jumping a few logical steps in my mind, but okay. Uh, it says, Then Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I'm empowered by Satan, what about your exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they'll condemn you for what you have said. But if I'm casting out demons by the, power, by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived. For who's powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. 
And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So their argument here, in their terms, would have been that Jesus was a magician. Not like we think of card tricks, but like a magician, maybe more like Harry Potter, that you get your powers from somewhere, and they're saying that he's getting his powers from dark forces. And that's what they're casting at him. And this is a very serious accusation. It was actually punishable by death. So like saying this was pretty big. It wasn't a small thing that could just be thrown away. And Jesus's reply was so simple though. He's like, so your logical nightmare of a question says that if I'm filled with Satan, I'm going to cast myself out. Of course, I'm not going to do that. How does that win? Like, how does that help me if that's what I'm working under? Like, that doesn't really make sense. But if I'm not filled by a dark power, then I'm filled by a power who is stronger than any other dark power. And that's good news because that means that the kingdom of God has actually come and it's here among you. And there's a power that's great enough to do whatever needs to be done on earth. That's what he was saying to them here. And Jesus, what these these leaders didn't know, that maybe his followers did at this point, we're not quite sure, but later on they did, is that Jesus has some serious street cred in this department. Not just because he's cast out things, but because he stood firm in the face of attack. For 40 days, he was in the desert at the beginning of his ministry. And Satan comes and brings everything at him. Power, prestige, wealth. He's fasting in the desert. He offers him food and he even says no to that every single thing that could be thrown at him, he rejects and says, no, I'm only going to serve God. See, the difference between you and me and Jesus is that Jesus has what we don't have. He has a track record of sinless perfection. And so when he's accused of evil or when he stands up to evil, he can very easily say evil whatever, get out of my face. I've already defeated you. I've already proven that I am more powerful than you are. But what he's also saying here is that there's no neutral powers in this game. There's not neutral powers when it comes to the supernatural. There's only God and spirits that are against God. That's what Jesus says pretty clear. Now remember, I'm talking about supernatural. Think Ephesians 6.12 like I read earlier. I'm not talking about you and me, about humans. I'm talking about supernatural powers. But friends, honestly, the things that people around us are tapping into are not neutral. They're not just, you know, evening out the scales. It might be casual. It might be culturally accepted. It may even be uh, kind of commonly done in the crew of people that they're around. But it's not neutral. Anyone who's not with me is against me. Now, the good news here is that anything that may have been done out of honest curiosity, that may have been done out of desperation, that may have been done out of uh, everybody else is doing it, can be wiped away freedom can come from that because 
Jesus is more powerful. All that you need to do is just invite Jesus into it. And I just want to say, maybe you've dabbled in things in the past. And you feel like maybe there's some things still holding on to you from that. Jesus can bring freedom very quickly. It doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out, three-year, holy water getting sprayed on you, uh, you know, scene. When Jesus comes, Satan can't remain. Evil can't remain. Invite him in. He'll change it. The Holy Spirit will bring freedom. Friends, in a culture, in a society where 80% of people around us believe in spiritual and supernatural powers, why are we afraid to share the good news of what the Holy Spirit brings? In Luke chapter 10, Jesus prays and send out his followers and he said, go and do the things that I do. Go and preach the good news. Go and heal the sick. Go and cast out demons. And it says that when they returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Why would it be different for us today? Why do we always assume that everything's different when it comes from things that we read in the Bible in our society? Like we're unique. We're not unique. (laughs) Jesus' mission hasn't changed we're still called to do the same stuff that Jesus did. I want us to watch a video from John Wimber as he talks about what it looks like for us to do the stuff. Uh, And uh, then we'll continue. So turn to the screen. As I read the New Testament, I fell in love with Jesus. Didn't you? I liked him. I liked what he was like. I liked the things he did. I liked the things he said. Didn't you like those things? I thought that stuff was hot. I like it when he multiplied the bread. Do you like that one? Huh? How about it? Do you like that? And the fishes, you know, the sardines. I always picture sardines. I like that stuff. I like all that stuff, you know? I like it when he went by the fig tree and said, mm, you know? And it died. Can you picture him doing that? I like all that stuff. I like it. I remember last night, come forth. That's a biggie, you know? I mean, that's hot. There's not many guys doing that come forth thing, you know, telling anybody to come up from the dead. I like all that stuff. And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking with these people, and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to join up. I want to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought they did at church? I thought that people gathered at the church, had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and everybody went out and healed a few, cast out a few demons, and won a few people to Christ before lunch. And so the first few times I went to church, I went prepared with the idea that we're going to, you know, ha, I'm going to take Anaheim. I want to go to Anaheim, you know, the deepest, darkest pagan Anaheim over there by Disneyland. That's where I want to go because that's where I was raised. And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking a guy about it. I said, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He says, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. Now that's pathetic. Isn't it? I found out over the next year or two that we cried about it. We sang about it. We preached about it. We prayed over it. We gave to it. But we never did it. 
We never got to go do the things that Jesus did. And I grew disillusioned in the process. Now, you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. Did he let you do his stuff? He let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they didn't want to let me do his stuff. And I, to tell you the truth, I joined up to do the stuff. Did you? You see, it's doing the stuff that's going to change the world. It's not knowing it was done once. It's not knowing that it's important. It's doing it that's going to change the world. Somewhere, someplace, somebody's got to start believing this book. And acting on it. And I figure it might as well be us. We're qualified. And we understand that it can be done. Somewhere, somehow, somebody has to start reading this book and believing that it's actually truth. It's funny. It's also deeply convicting. How do we do this? Are we supposed to start wearing tunics and go pray over lunch at every restaurant that we go to and hope that it gets bigger? Like, is that where we're supposed to start? No. No. But let me, let me toss out a few ideas for you. Have you ever felt like the Holy Spirit guided you towards a decision that made an impact in your life? Relationship, where to live, where to move, uh, how to deal with your kids, uh, job. Do you think that your friend or coworker who's spending money going to see a psychic or a tarot card reader might be interested in hearing that story? How about this? Do you have a story about being healed from an illness or a physical ailment? Do you think that you're, uh, that the person that you know, your family member, your neighbor who has recently purchased some books on new age healing practices might be interested in learning about your story? Have you noticed that the more time that you spend in the presence of Jesus, the less anxious that you are? Do you think that the person in your life who has a meditation shrine at home might be interested in knowing that Jesus could do that with much better lasting effects? Where do we start? We start by sharing what it is that Jesus has already done because he's already moved. Are we willing to let it out? Or are we just keeping it in for ourselves and blocking it like they showed on the video? Are we keeping the stories to ourselves? because we're afraid, we're nervous. 80% of people around us are already searching. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. Let the stories out. 
followers of Jesus were called to do this. And we're given the Holy Spirit so that we can do this. Mm-hmm.